pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Sunday, and Lord, we just ask that you would help us to be able to focus on your Word and the truths that are in it. We ask for each one of us here, Lord, that we would leave closer to you than we came. We ask you to do a work in our lives through your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing for the next song. Once again, to the second epistle of Peter, the second letter of Peter. This has been an overriding theme uh, the past several uh, weeks here in, uh, in uh, Sunday morning and at different times here. And uh, the verse 3 says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. I want to read that verse one more time. Follow closely along in your Bibles, if you would. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. What, what we are trying to do here is just to be reminded again that the answer to every issue that we face in this life, the, uh, Peter put it this way, that pertain unto life and godliness. Now, living is what we do. That's how we stay alive. Godliness is how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live a life that reflects the goodness and the grace of God to others that see us, that, that we live around. And it tells us that all of these things are given unto us through a knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. And so we've been talking about getting to know Jesus, not just uh, His name, not just uh, things about him, but how he works, what he thinks. A, uh, a young man uh, will often approach a, a young lady, and, and and of course they have the uh, the cute little phrase there: the guy chases the girl until she catches him. Sometimes it works that way, uh, but the truth of the matter is, it's getting to know each other. Uh, I appreciate the wisdom that Brother Clayton gave me many years ago as. As I was preparing for marriage, uh, he said, I know you love her, but do you like her? And, and uh, well, what do you mean by that? He said, well, it, it's more than just love. We're supposed to love everybody. That's what the Bible teaches us. Amen. Uh, we love our friends. The Bible says through Jesus Christ we can love our enemies. Hopefully your wife comes in between there somewhere, right? Uh, uh, but... What, what he was really saying is, do you enjoy being together? Do you enjoy being with that person? Do you know how they feel about things? Are, are you able to work together? And uh, I was going, yeah, what's the problem with that? Well, just wanted to make sure is what he said. And, and uh, praise the Lord, 30 years later, still like being together. 
working together. In fact, when we went away with our anniversary, we just wanted to pop in and visit a church, a new church plant, ended up preaching all day Sunday, two different churches. And, 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 but we looked at each other and said, she said, are, are you upset that we, we worked all day? And I said, no. I, I, that's how we met, serving the Lord. And, and so it was actually just a great enjoyment there. And we can have that relationship with people. But do we have that same relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Is church just something you have to do on Sunday? Or do you enjoy coming to church because you're going to learn more about Jesus? Amen? Is there a challenge there? Is there discovery? You know, you never stop learning about another person if you care about them. Because people change a little bit over the years. Not dramatically most of the time, but uh, there ought to be that constant care and, and learning how to help each other. And let me tell you something. If you spent the rest of your life just trying to learn about Jesus, would you ever do any more than just scratch the surface? Our first sermon in this series about Jesus as the creator of the universe. We often don't think of him in that role because the Bible tells us in Genesis 1-1, God spake and God created. And yet we read in John 1 verse 3, and without him was not anything made that was made. And in Hebrews, I want you to turn over to Hebrews chapter 1 if you would, as this is going to be the main passage we're going through. We've uh, had two other sermons as we studied how Jesus behaved and, and how he carried on in the Old Testament. Now we're reaching to the New Testament and we're trying to learn about what was important to Jesus. And I, I just love to review that. I mean, Jesus came down to visit Abraham before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah because he wanted Abraham to pray for Lot so that God would be justified in delivering him. He was concerned about his word, and he promised Abraham the coming of Isaac, and Sarah laughed. Eighty-nine years old, I'm going to have a child. She wasn't laughing when the morning sickness started sinking in. And I'm sure she wasn't laughing as the extra weight and all of those things And when it was all done and she was holding that little baby, she was going, wow, this is crazy. Everybody's going to laugh about this story. And we still do. All the way down into our modern time. Because God always keeps his word. And he sent Jesus personally down to guarantee it. I love Joshua meeting Jesus outside the city of Jericho. Joshua needed to know what God wanted to be done. He was going to have the strangest battle plan in the history of mankind. They're just going to march around the city and the walls are going to fall down. Hasn't happened since. Don't try this. This was just for Joshua. But Jesus is standing there with the sword drawn and Joshua walks up and says, Whose side are you on? Ours or theirs? And he says, Nay. Oh, I love that. He said, I'm the captain of the Lord's host. And Joshua said, can I be on your side? 
Amen. And that's why Jesus was there. To ensure that Joshua understood this was not his battle. This was the Lord's. God was going to keep his word. He had promised that land to Abraham and his seed. And now they were there, two million strong, to possess the land. And I always like to ask this question, who's living there today? The descendants of Abraham. It's not the land of Palestine. It's the land of Israel. Because God keeps His word. And then Nebuchadnezzar, God's people had sinned. They'd been taken into captivity and he built that old idol to himself and he wanted the uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to worship that idol and they didn't and they were bound and thrown into that fiery furnace. And I, I just love the story. Who was going to untie them? They were bound hand and foot. They were just laying there on the coals. I mean, it would take days for that furnace to cool down to where someone could go in and untie them. Jesus said, they were keeping my word. They weren't going to disobey the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. They weren't going to disobey the second commandment. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. And so Jesus himself showed up to untie them. And old Nebuchadnezzar, he looked in the furnace. And, How many did we put in there? Three, O king. But there's four now. And that fourth one. Now, how in the world did Nebuchadnezzar know what the Son of God looked like? Could I just challenge you? You'll know. There, there is no question. And he didn't, he didn't command anything to that fourth guy. He just said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how about you coming out? Because I know if you come out of the furnace, that other guy's going to go back where he came from and... and and I'm, I'm a little afraid of him. And God knows how to humble the proud. Amen. And I've often told this to people over the years, and we've, we have tried to practice this at our church. You say, I, I don't know how in the world I can be obedient to God's Word in this world in which I live. Let me tell you something. God will make a way for you to obey His Word. He always does. Because God honors His Word. And now we move into the New Testament. And, and we're, I, I wish we could take time, but uh, we have other, I have other things that I, I want to preach on. And so we're going to cover much of this in a summary fashion. That's why we're going to the book of Hebrews as we look at the ministry and, and the work of Jesus in the New Testament, let's just start reading Hebrews chapter 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hast, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. Now, I want to stop here. We need to understand something. 
all down through the ages, men have claimed special knowledge or special communication with God or the gods. And any time somebody talks about the gods, you need to understand they're talking about the devil and his angels. Uh, sorry, that's just the way it is. The great spirit of the ancient Indians is not the God of the Bible. Uh, the gods of the, uh, uh, of the pantheon of the Babylonians and the G- Egyptians and the Greeks and finally, uh, 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 codified and brought to its highest story form in the Roman Empire. It's talking about the devil and his servants. Many of the Greek gods could actually be, uh, stories about human beings that lived uh, right after or right before the flood, we don't know. But the, the simple truth of this matter is, when we talk about gods, we cannot be talking about God. How many of you know what the definition of the word God is? The supreme being. That's, that's all it is. There, there can only, by definition, be one God, capital G-O-D. Only one. There, there cannot be many because it's the supreme being. You can't have... Uh, uh, how did uh, uh, one of the uh, uh, preachers in the early church said, Well, I, I'm not above all the rest of you. I'm just the first among equals. Excuse me, that sounds almost as bad as a politician, doesn't it? If you're the first among equals, you're in charge. And, and people aren't equal. I, I like these new churches. They say, well, we have a plurality of elders here and we all work together. And, and we just have conversations and that's how we lead our church. Yeah, sure. Doesn't work that way. There's usually one of them that's in charge of everything. In fact, uh, one of the main people promoting that philosophy of church ministry is a guy named John MacArthur. He's been pastoring for over 50 years, has a great big church out in California. Let, let me tell you something. When he walks in the room, everybody's not saying, Now, let me tell you what to do, Mr. MacArthur. Or Reverend MacArthur. He's telling them. I mean, there, there is leadership, always. You see, you can say what you want, but if you're going to get anything done, you're going to end up following the pattern that's in this book called the Bible. You know, I know that these people surround themselves with lots of other people, but Bill Gates is the moving force. What was that guy with Apple Cook or whatever? Jobs, Steve Jobs. Uh, It was his ideas there. And I'm trying to challenge you that as even wicked men desire carnal goals, they still follow the pattern that's in the Bible. There's one God. He's in charge. That's how things get done. And that God sent His Son, Jesus, to live among us. 
You see, the thing that makes the Bible story so different than all other religions of the world is simply this. Can you tell me one story of one God that humbled himself to save the beings he created? No one else has that story. Only in the Bible is that story. People have claimed in, in, uh, through chicanery and uh, all kinds of, of tricks and things over the years to claim that they have some special connection with God and they have information that no one else has it and you need to follow me. Joseph Smith claimed to find the golden tablets in Palmyra, New York. Uh, and use what he said was written on those golden tablets to found what is now called the Church of the Latter-day Saints or the Mormons. Someone asked him to produce those golden tablets so that the information could be verified. We're still waiting. He claimed he could read every ancient language and they actually brought him into a court and held up a Greek alphabet. And he couldn't tell the difference between a Greek alphabet and a Hebrew alphabet, let alone read or study or anything in those languages. So he came up with this set of invisible glasses that you put on and when you read the tablets, then you could read in all the languages. That almost sounds like comic book stuff now, doesn't it? And yet the miracles that talk, are talked about in the Bible are laughed at. And people believe the invention of mankind. If you're going to get to know Jesus today, you've got to stop looking everywhere else to learn about Jesus, to learn about God you got to look right here. This is the greatest revelation. Jesus has a title in this book. He is called the Living Word. He is called the Word of God. This is the written Word. This is the record of Jesus Christ. May I once again take a moment... How many of us started out in January? Said, I'm going to read the Bible every day this year. I'm going to follow my calendar. Now, don't raise your hands. Because the next question is, how many of us have failed? Now, the question is, you say, but pastor, it's October. Oh, we still have a few in the book, in the office there. You know what the best thing to do is get one of these. If you don't have one, get one. Andrew will give you one. Hannah will give you one after the service and just start today. At least you have done something. Oh, I've tried. I just can't do it. Oh, how well do you like Jesus? How well do you want to like Jesus? How much do you want to get to know him? He is the ultimate revelation of God to mankind. 
He is Emmanuel, God with us. He lived in the human race as a member. And and we're going to find these things as we go down through here. We have the life of Jesus Christ recorded in the Gospels. And and, uh, there are people who still say, well, we don't even believe Jesus existed. Well, that would be quite a miracle in and of itself if he never existed. And yet the entire Western world has their calendar based on the birthday of this person who never lived. The largest collective religion in the world are people who name the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, if we take the, uh, I believe worldwide there are about 25 million Baptist people. If we take the evangelical people who were Baptistic, we've got probably close to that again. Uh, I believe the Catholic Church includes an enrollment of somewhere around 800 million people worldwide. They talk about Jesus. Uh, the Orthodox Church is uh, somewhere in that neighborhood. By the way, you add all the numbers up, and I don't have exact numbers, but we outnumber the Muslims. There are more people out there in this world talking about Jesus than Allah. That'd be pretty amazing for someone who never existed now, wouldn't it? Actually, he did. The Bible tells us so. Everything we know about life. And even when Muhammad came along and other religions and even the watered-down Protestants of our day still cannot improve. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The ultimate good that man can accomplish toward other man is what we call the golden rule. And Buddha didn't come up with it, my friend. The Lord Jesus Christ did. The highest levels of morality of any religion in the world are in this book called the Bible. You see, we know about Jesus. But look at verse 3, if you would. Who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power when He had by Himself purged our sins sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus Christ was the brightness of Of the glory of God. Can you get a hold of this? The thing that makes the God of the Bible the most wonderful and the only true supreme being in all history is the fact that He is interested in us as individuals. Stop and think about that. Why, why do we spend so much time talking about God? Because He cares about me. Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. I like to toy with the minds of those who believe in evolution and other such nonsense. I said, who but God could waste 
13.5 billion light years of matter to stick one little planet somewhere in that mass of matter and put life on it. Oh, but there's got to be life on other planets. Oh, we haven't found it yet. And we're not going to. Oh, there is life outside of this earth. We call it heaven. Amen. And the Lord is there and His angels are there. Don't don't discount what the Bible says. But let me tell you, there's not funny little creatures walking around with antennas for eyes and uh, all of this foolishness that man invents. And you know something they always say? That the alien life forms are so far advanced than we are. And have you ever thought about something? They're just mocking God, are they not? Because He is so far advanced than we are. And He is out there. But you can't find Him with a space probe. You can't find Him with a telescope. You can see His work everywhere you look. But if you want to find Him, He's right next to you. The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Amen? You see, Jesus is the express brightness of the express image of his person. People argue all the time, how was God created? How was man created in the image of God? Well, Jesus is a body. God the Father is a soul. Guess who the Holy Spirit is? Spirit. God created us with a body, a soul, and a spirit. When Adam and Eve sinned, God said, In the day ye eat thereof, ye shall surely die. That spirit died. Adam and Eve just had a body and a soul at that point. Still created in the image of God, but marred. Jesus had all three. He was, we could behold him as he veiled the glory of of God. He he pulled back that veil on a few occasions. Mount of Transfiguration, remember that story? They saw a glorified Christ. Bumbling old Peter, he said, Let's build three temples, one to you and one to Moses and one to Elijah. And God the Father spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved son, hear ye him. Moses and Elijah were gone. They weren't there to be venerated or worshipped. They were there to help the disciples understand that the message and the life and the revelation of Jesus Christ was the completion of everything that had been foretold to this point that what we call the Old and the New Testaments are really only one testimony of the greatness of God. Amen? Upholding all things by the word of his power. You know, we can do incredible things with atoms. We have discovered the essence of the universe. And we can 
split them in controlled fission and make uh, a, a nuclear-generated power plant, or we can take them and arrange them in such a way that we get fission and it destroys every living thing within the swath of the, uh, of the blast area of the weapon that is detonated. And, and yet, if we could release the atomic energy in your church bulletin, just one. If we could go into the molecules and the atoms that make up this piece of paper and the ink that is laid on it, there'd be no living thing in a 25-mile radius of this church. But aren't you glad paper's stable? It is not nuclear reactive. You can't do anything with it except burn it. What holds it together like that? Uh, The word of his power. So you get 2 Peter chapter 3, and it talks about the elements melting with a fervent heat. Jesus is going to say the word, and all of creation will disappear. And God will make a new heaven and a new earth. But until that time, and that's why I love to laugh at the environmentalists who think that we're going to destroy the universe. And they've they've come up with so many new ways. When I was a kid, everything was going to freeze. How many of you are old enough to remember about the coming ice age? When everything, okay, I see one, two hands there, there. Uh, okay, yes, thank you, Brother Brett. Uh, the, uh, it, that's what they taught in school, and I remember coming home, and it was April, and an ice storm hit, and I was crying because the universe was going to end, and we were all going to freeze. And my mama had enough sense to tell me, it, it doesn't work that way in the Bible, son. You just trust the Lord, and He'll take care of it. Now, we're all going to... Melt in the floods of the melted ice caps. No, that happened in Genesis chapter 6. Sorry. I've already been there, done that. The great flood of Noah. You see, mankind always gets everything backwards. They, they can't do anything right because if you want to do something right, you've got to get to know Jesus. He holds everything together by the power of his word. And yet he says he wants us to pray to him and talk to him each day. I'll tell you what. That's a far different God than most of us have ever heard of. Unless you've been reading this book called the Bible. Amen? You see, he by himself. Oh, my. When he had by himself purged our sins. Do you know that right there destroys 90% of all world religions? 99.9% of all world religions. Because religion is man's attempt to make himself pleasing to God or to take care of his own sins. And yet the Bible tells us here that Jesus by himself purged our sins. 
That's why when he was hanging on the cross, he uttered these words in English. It was only one word in the Hebrew. It is finished. The work of sin is done. And who did it? Jesus did. That's why I don't have to do anything to take away my sins. If we were to sit here this morning and just start thinking about all of the offenses that we have heaped toward the Savior and the God who loves us so much, be terrifying, would it not? The wrong things that we have done, our sins, our offenses that we have literally flung in the face of a holy God. But the Bible tells us He by Himself purged our sins. If He has paid the price, all we have to do is ask Him for His forgiveness. Tell you, you're not going to find that in any religion out there. How many of you used to go to a religion where everything, your, your trip to heaven depended on what you did? Your hope of heaven was dependent on money you put in the plate or, or on good things that you did toward other people or maybe you were part of one of those Protestant things. Well, you just do the best you can and God will understand. Don't try that at work, my friend. Your boss would be very foolish to accept that kind of work, now wouldn't he? In fact, I don't know any honest bosses that do accept that kind of work. They... They normally give you a printed little book that says you're going to do things the way I tell you to and how our company has figured out. And and, uh, we always have these silly things. Remember the guy that showed up at a a presidential uh, press conference wearing a Make America Great hat again and he got fired for wearing a Make America Great hat to a Trump press conference because he worked for CNN. So, or some other news company, I don't want to blame CNN if they're not the ones responsible for it, but I read the article, he was wearing a Trump hat to a Trump rally to ask the president some questions and he got fired. Because our policy is that you don't wear anything that will uh, identify you politically because you're a reporter. Oh, give me, give me another lie, right? You see... People have agendas. People have things that they're always doing. But we're all going to stand before God. And He's not playing games. He, by Himself, paid the price for our sins. God does not want your help to save Him. He's already done all the work. All He wants you to do is trust in Him. To trust His goodness. To stop believing about your goodness. You know why communism and socialism can never work? Because they believe that man at his essence is good. I am so good, I'm going to work and I'm going to put forth my best effort and I'm going to give the results away. That's what socialism says. That's why socialism doesn't produce anything except slavery. But if we'll surrender ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, 
He'll give us of His salvation. And He'll give us the ability to serve Him. And by the way, He talks about giving you individual rewards for individual works. That's another sermon for another day. But you'll get to honor Christ with what He has given you. And that will be a wonderful thing. And then we get to this last phrase of this verse here. And it says, Sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. When Jesus said it was finished, the work is done. And He is just waiting for God's time clock to work out and the fulfillment of all things. Let me tell you something. The greatest revelation that God has given to mankind is the person and the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we say amen? He is the express image of God. He is the brightness of His glory. Everything that we know good about God, we know personally because of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of Acts, uh, what was the summation of Jesus' ministry? He went about doing good. I'll tell you what. That's who Jesus is. And we ought to get to know Him and get to like Him and understand that He is upholding everything by the word of His power and He is the one by Himself that paid for our sins now, uh, I love verse 6 here. It says, And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. You know, Christmas time's coming. There's always an argument. Well, you know, Christmas is a pagan holiday, and Christmas is this, and Christmas is that. We, we understand, as Bible believers, Jesus was not born on December 25th. Uh, the, the biblical clock does not work that way it does not but that is the date that the world has decided to celebrate christmas and i'm not standing arm in arm with the aclu or the uh, aggregation of atheists or whatever those other people are i'm going to talk about jesus and i'm going to enjoy christmas and you know why do we give gifts at christmas time because god gave us jesus What's wrong with showing a little love for other people? And by the way, when Jesus was born, he sent all the angels from heaven to worship him in the presence of the shepherds that were there. Oh, if there is one event in history that I'd like to see, I would have loved to watch that angel descend from heaven and take the stone away from the tomb. The second would have been to see all those angels in the sky the night Jesus came to Bethlehem's manger. Oh, just to, just to stop. But guess what? I read Revelation 4 and 5, and we'll get to be part of that heavenly choir singing praise and glory to God if you're saved. You see, Jesus came to Bethlehem's manger He came through the Virgin Mary to be born and become a human being. But look at verse 8. 
But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Jesus never became less than God when he became man. You say, how did that work? Well, if I knew that, I'd be as smart as God is. But since I'm not, I don't know how it worked. I just believe what the Bible says. That's faith. How many of you are willing to believe just what the Bible says? Now, I always like when I talk about this to remind you that the what is now the organization of the Orthodox Church argued this point back and forth for the first 350 to 375 years of its history and really did not settle this issue until after 500 A.D. Now, if a church is arguing about the deity of Jesus Christ, can it be Jesus' church? Absolutely not. Because Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. Those who are saved know who Jesus is. That he is the very Son of God. And yet, the Son of Man. How did that work? I don't know. And I'm really not interested in trying to figure it out. What I'm interested in is getting to know Him as my Creator, as the one who lived among us for 33 and a half years. I, I can't imagine the patience that Jesus had to have put up with those 12 disciples. But he did. And here's old Judas skirting around the edges, refusing to believe Jesus is the Son of God, eventually becoming his betrayer, walking alongside him and Jesus, not until the night he betrays does he even point him out. Who but God could have that kind of patience? Hello? And we get down to chapter 2 here. We're going to be done pretty soon. Verse 1, it says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to these things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation which at the first began to be spoken by who? The Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. You see, Jesus was the first preacher of salvation in grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know who confirmed that word? His disciples. And yet, we have all kinds of churches that name the name of Jesus Christ that preach a multitude of ways to get to heaven. Jesus said, when they asked him, John chapter 6, what are the works of God? Believe on him whom God hath sent. Wasn't that his answer? You can look it up. It was. John chapter 6. He told them, he said, you cannot believe on me because you're too busy believing in yourselves. 
You're believing in your tradition. We need to have a knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Jesus did not force himself upon anyone. And I want to challenge you. We don't force membership of this church. We don't try to trick you into becoming a member, entice you in any way. Say, do you want what the Bible teaches? Well, this is a place to get it. Because that's all we do. It's preach and teach the Bible. You say amen to that? And we want to follow what the Bible says. And the Bible says that you, that we have to be careful. We can let them slip that people do. They have changed these things, the truths of God, into the traditions of men. But we're not trying to figure out what Baptists believed 500 years ago. We're trying to figure out what Jesus taught when he was walking this earth and follow in those teachings. Because that's the Bible way. You see... We come down to verse 9 of chapter 2. And it says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Doesn't that the wording there just intrigue you? That Jesus should taste death? You see... We, we taste things that we're not sure about, right? Well, Jesus is going to conquer death. Death could not conquer him. That's why the word taste is used. Because Jesus experienced death in every one of its ultimate terrors and horror and suffering. He was nailed to a cross like you would hang a picture on a wall. Every joint in his body was out of place. The suffering from the Roman beating before he went to the cross was a death sentence in and of itself. He had to put up with the scorn and the rebuke and the mockery of men who said, you come off the cross and we'll believe you. If Jesus had done that, if he had just went pop, pop, kick the nail out and jump down in front of them, they would have screamed, put them back, put them back. Because they didn't believe in Jesus. They believed in themselves. You see, Jesus tasted death. As God, he is the only one that could fully ingest it. And not have it destroy him. If you taste death, my friend, you're done. We, we have poisons in this world for which there are no cure. You cannot survive. But you know what? Jesus tasted death for us. Look at verse 10. For it became him. You want to know what Jesus is like, right? Here it is. For whom all are things, for whom are all things. Everything that exists exists for the service and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by whom are all things? It is the word of his power that holds everything together. 
in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Now look at verse 12. Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the... What's that word? Where did that come from? Well, let me tell you, when believers assemble in Jesus' name, it's called a church. But a church is not a universal, invisible thing. It is a local, visible assembly. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. See, Jesus cares about his church. He puts us together in an assembly of believers so that we don't have to serve Him alone. So that we can comfort one another and we can encourage one another and we can pray together for one another. These are things... We've been around long enough as a church to see God answer some of those prayers. Amen? We've seen God do some miracles in answer to prayers in the history of our church. and We're not only talking about... Uh, the building in which we sit and other churches that have been started and missionaries that have been supported. We're talking about lives of people who are right here. Now, let's read on. Verse 13. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. For as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that hath the power over the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Do you want to get to know Jesus Christ? You want to know about him? You want to know what he wants to do in your life? That's what these two chapters talk about. Though he had the power and he created everything that is at the direction of God the Father, and we understand that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is one God, but God is so big that there are three distinct and separate persons in that one God. We are created in his image. And we marred that image because we sold ourselves to sin. But he by himself purged our sins. Amen. He came down and was born in Bethlehem's manger that he could partake of all of the same sufferings that we do. Why do we fail so often in following Jesus when he never failed once in keeping God's word so that we could join him in heaven. You want me to tell you why? 
It's because we're not walking close enough to Jesus. I've had many people over the years, Pastor, I'm struggling with a certain sin. I just can't get the victory. And and I don't know that I always say this, but I, I just want to summarize many things this morning. If Jesus were holding your hand, would you have a problem with that? Would you lose your temper if Jesus were holding your hand? Would you say unkind things to another human being in a fit of uncontrollable range if Jesus were holding your hand? Could you walk into a bar and order an alcoholic beverage if Jesus went with you? Or light up a cigarette? Oh, but marijuana's good. It's it's natural. Give me a break. The problem we have, and I'm talking, I'm talking to everyone, including myself here, the problem we have in this life is we are not walking close enough to the Savior for Him to make a difference in the way we live. You don't have to raise a hand, but every one of us will go guilty. You want to get closer to Jesus? You want to get to know Him better? The Bible says He took on Him human flesh to walk among us. It says, For He Himself hath suffered being tempted. He is able to succor them that are tempted. Now, I was growing up. The greatest movie on television that I could watch was in the Wild West and the Indians were all around. The arrows were shooting and the fort was on fire and everybody was going... Oh, we're all going to die. And all of a sudden you heard, the cavalry's coming. And they would come and rescue them and everything would be fine. How many of you ever remember watching one of those things and go, yay? Uh, I mean, we just, uh, well, that's what the word sucre means. But Jesus doesn't have to come from afar. Because he's God, he's everywhere. He's right beside us. How many of you have ever been ignored by somebody that you thought liked you and cared about you? I'll tell you what, that's painful, isn't it? But let's get right down to the point of the message. How many times have we ignored the Lord Jesus and done our thing? that we knew was against His truth and His goodness? How many times have we refused to take advantage of His help, His outstretched hand that was there to bring us through this time and to keep us from making mistakes that we might regret as long as we live? Would you like to know Jesus a little better? Would you like to like Him a little more? You see, he can't like you any more than he already does because he's God. He already loves us to the ultimate degree. He gave his life on the cross before we even acknowledged who he was and what he's doing is he said, will you take my hand and walk through life? 
I'll carry you. I'll give you direction. I'll give you strength that you cannot have. See, I'm the creator of the world. There's nothing that I don't control. Wouldn't life be a little easier if Jesus were showing you the way? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, we pray, I pray that through this sermon we could open our eyes and see the love of our Savior just a little more clearly. Lord, that you would help us to understand your goodness, who you are. Lord, I pray that if there be someone here in this auditorium that has never trusted you as their Savior, that today would be the day. That they would stop trusting religion themselves the best they can. And just trust Jesus. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling through this life. And struggling with sin and despair and discouragement. And all the things that the devil just loves to throw our way. That we would understand that Jesus has already been there. If we'll just take his hand, he'll lead us through victoriously. We pray for those that are struggling with sin. That we would just confess that sin to you. And take the Savior's hand. And walk in the way that we should walk. Lord, would you work in our hearts. That we might possess those things that pertain unto life and godliness. That we might have that knowledge of our Savior who has called us to glory and virtue. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Andrew comes to lead in the hymn of invitation. If you need to come and pray, the altar's open. If you're not sure about your salvation, as we stand... Would you come and let someone take the Bible and show you how you may know your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home as we sing.